from President Theodore Roosevelt's State of the Union Address to Congress in 1904. It is true that the United States feels any land hunger or entertains any projects as regards the other nations of the Western Hemisphere, save such as are for their welfare. All that this country desires is to see the neighboring countries stable, orderly, and prosperous. Any country whose people conduct themselves well can count upon our hearty friendship. If a nation shows that it knows how to act with reasonable efficiency and decency in social and political matters, if it keeps order and pays its obligations, it need fear no interference from the United States. Chronic wrongdoing or an impotence which results in the general loosening of the ties of civilized society may in America, as elsewhere, ultimately require intervention by some civilized nation. And in the Western Hemisphere, the adherence of the United States to the Monroe Doctrine may force the United States, however reluctantly, in flagrant cases of such wrongdoing or impotence, to the exercise of an international police power. If every country washed by the Caribbean Sea would show the progress in stable and just civilization, which, with the aid of the Platt Amendment, Cuba has shown since our troops left the island, and which so many of the republics in both Americas are constantly and brilliantly showing, all question of interference by this nation with their affairs would be at an end. Our interests and those of our southern neighbours are in reality identical. They have great natural riches, and if within their borders the reign of law and justice obtains, prosperity is sure to come to them, while they thus obey the primary laws of civilised society they may rest assured that they will be treated by us in a spirit of cordial and helpful sympathy. We would interfere with them only in the last resort, and then only if it became evident that their inability or unwillingness to do justice at home and abroad had violated the rights of the United States or had invited foreign aggression to the detriment of the entire body of American nations. It is a mere truism to say that every nation, whether in America or anywhere else, which desires to maintain its freedom, its independence, must ultimately realize that the right of such independence cannot be separated from the responsibility of making good use of it. In asserting the Monroe Doctrine, in taking such steps as we have taken in regard to Cuba, Venezuela, and Panama, and in endeavouring to circumscribe the theatre of war in the Far East, and to secure the open door in China, we have acted in our own interest, as well as in the interest of humanity at large. There are, however, cases in which, while our interests are not greatly involved, strong appeal is made to our sympathies. Ordinarily, it is very much wiser and more useful for us to concern ourselves with striving for our own moral 
and material betterment here at home than to concern ourselves with trying to better the condition of things in other nations. We have plenty of sins of our own to war against, and under ordinary circumstances we can do more for the general uplifting of humanity by striving with heart and soul to put a stop to civic corruption, to brutal lawlessness and violent race prejudices here at home than by passing resolutions on wrongdoing elsewhere. Nevertheless, there are occasional crimes committed on so vast a scale and of such peculiar horror as to make us doubt whether it is not our manifest duty to endeavour at least to show our disapproval of the deed and our sympathy with those who have suffered by it. The cases must be extreme in which such a course is justifiable. There must be no effort made to remove the moat from our brother's eye if we refuse to remove the beam from our own. But in extreme cases, action may be justifiable and proper. What form of action shall take must depend upon the circumstances of the case, that is, upon the degree of the atrocity and upon our power to remedy it. The cases in which we could interfere by force of arms, as we interfered to put a stop to intolerable conditions in Cuba, are necessarily very few. Yet it is not to be expected that a people like ours, which in spite of certain very obvious shortcomings, nevertheless as a whole, shows by its consistent practice its belief in the principles of civil and religious liberty and of orderly freedom a people among whom even the worst crime, like the crime of lynching, is never more than sporadic, so that individuals and not classes are molested in their fundamental rights. It is inevitable that such a nation should desire eagerly to give expression to its horror on the occasion like that of the massacre of the Jews in Kishinev, or when it witnesses such systematic and long-extended cruelty and oppression as the cruelty and oppression of which the Armenians have been the victims, and which have won for them the indignant pity of the civilized world. Roosevelt uses the term police power. It appears in the first paragraph of his corollary. However, the assertion that the U.S. would police its own backyard and not look on at events there with indifference was stated nine years earlier in 1895. Then, the newly appointed American Secretary of State wrote to the U.S. Ambassador at the Court of St. James's in London, setting out his interpretation of the Monroe Doctrine in relation to the dispute between America's former colonizers and Venezuela. The Ambassador, Thomas Bayard, instinctively sympathized with the British. However, Secretary of State Richard Olney made six enumerated points in a long dispatch stating the Grover Cleveland administration's position on Venezuela, making it clear who the major and minor players were, and pointing out the checkered history of major imperial powers such as Great Britain. 1. 
The title to territory, better understood now as the entitlement to territory, of indefinite but confessedly very large extent, is in dispute between Great Britain on the one hand and the South American Republic of Venezuela on the other. 2. The disparity in the strength of the claimants is such that Venezuela can hope to establish her claim only through peaceful methods, through an agreement with her adversary, either upon the subject itself or upon arbitration. 3. The controversy, with varying claims on the part of Great Britain, has existed for more than half a century, during which period many earnest and persistent efforts of Venezuela to establish a boundary by agreement have proved unsuccessful. 4. The futility of the endeavour to obtain a conventional line being recognised, Venezuela for a quarter of a century has asked and striven for arbitration. 5. Great Britain, however, has always and continuously refused to arbitrate, except upon the condition of a renunciation of a large part of the Venezuelan claim and of a concession to herself of a large share of the territory in controversy. 6. By the frequent interposition of its good offices at the instance of Venezuela, by constantly urging and promoting the restoration of diplomatic relations between the two countries, by pressing for arbitration of the disputed boundary, by offering to act as arbiter, by expressing its grave concern whenever new alleged instances of British aggression upon Venezuelan territory have been brought to its notice, the Government of the United States has made it clear to Great Britain and to the world that the controversy is one in which both its honour and its interests are involved and the continuance of which it cannot regard with indifference.